Welcome to the Board Game Workshop. I'm your host, Chris Anderson. Uh, before we get into the episode, I'd just like to say a couple things. This is the last episode of the year, so I'd like to thank all of the listeners and all of the guests who have come on in this past year. I've been enjoying it quite a bit, and I will be continuing into the next year. I look forward to adding some things next year. Uh, we're looking into getting some contributors to bring in additional content on the podcast. And also, I'd like to start regular listener questions. So in that vein, I'm going to have a contest for a copy of Roll for the Galaxy. So to enter the contest, just send a question to questions at theboardgameworkshop.com. And I will randomly select from all the answered questions a winner to send the game off to. And also, we'll answer the questions on a future episode. So if you are interested, send questions there. You can enter multiple times. And you'll get one entry for every question. That about does it. Hope everyone has an enjoyable new year. And on to the show. Welcome to the Board Game Workshop. I'm your host, Chris Anderson. And I'm here with Charlotte and Seamus of Lucky Goblin Games in Quincy, Massachusetts. Charlotte and Seamus, welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having us. You're both opening a game store in Quincy, and this is obviously a new endeavor for you, so let's start from the beginning. What made you want to open a game store? Well, it's uh, new for me in the sense I haven't run one, but I actually ended up in college living uh, one floor above a game shop, which meant I was there every day which meant that sometimes they would call me to open up the shop or could you please come by we've overslept all these guys live three towns away this was in belgium by the way uh so i saw what they were doing behind the scenes i saw them opening up at noon which was nice (laughs) but uh mostly i've just been playing games as long as i can remember i actually started out with uh role-playing games the pen and paper stuff that yeah as much as I love board games, I'm still, I'm still, uh, yeah, RPGs are my jam. And you start playing those in shop, you meet people, you learn that, for example, co-op games exist. I've had that very typical build-up from Monopoly and hating Scrabble Nights to, oh my god, board games can be fun, <laughs> to Arkham Horror. I think I peaked with Arkham Horror, that might have been my favorite. Um, yeah, so I've always been around game shops and I've always enjoyed being there and I've enjoyed the product. Seamus? I'm a gamer. Everyone I know is a gamer. All my friends are gamers and this seemed like an easy way to, uh, well, not an easy way. (laughs) This seemed like a good way to potentially make a living (laughs) while hanging out with people who I like. Cool. So how long have you been working on opening the store from the initial time you decided let's open a store? Oh god, ages. Um... We've always had the idea, like, um, even before we are married, before we met, I always had the idea of this is something I might want to do with my life. And then um, uh, I came over to America from Belgium, uh, and I had a hard time finding a job. Um, Seamus was having a hard time because he couldn't work in his field, and we were thinking, okay, what do we want to do with our lives? We're married, we're happy, this marriage is going great. How do we make things better for us? And we both just hit on that idea, well, what's, what's the stupid big dream? What have you always wanted? Well, a game shop. And I, okay, but we have no money. Okay, how do we get money? And, and that's kind of how it started. Uh, I think from the, from the point where we really started finalizing some of the business plans and discussing something specifically with people rather than simply 
having the occasional over dinner conversation about wouldn't it be great if it's yeah. been about a year and a half, close yeah. to two years? Two years mm-hmm. now, yeah. yeah. You start with the banks and you realize the banks don't give you money unless you have money and okay. uh, you start talking to private investors and then you either get lucky or you don't. We got lucky. Um, not just lucky, but knowing some very kind well, and generous we, people. We also did a lot of um, research work and market analysis and things we like that. We spent about sure half a year viable. writing a business plan. Uh, it's been a journey. So it's not something someone else should just hop into and open oh. a store one weekend? I think like, the impression that I get as a customer from a lot of game stores is that um, many people try that. And those are the ones that show up and are gone six months later. There and was a time where you could do that and succeed. Like I, some of them probably yeah. started that way, yeah. But like books, you get these bookshops that are run by people who just love to read and want to be around books all day. And I, I think there was a time you could do that, but with, with um, real estate prices being what they are, um, a brick and mortar shop is a very risky thing to do, I think. <laughs> so no, it's not something you should you should just rush into. I always compare to um, the last people who were actually a dispensary. So they just sat in the back and smoked pot all day. And a lot of people who run game shops kind of... Well, there was a time where you could do that. I love games, so I'm just going to sit here all day playing games. And if someone wants to come in and buy some stuff, that's fine. We do have some advantages in that... um uh, we have a fairly significant uh, experience and direct uh, background working in the, the retail specialty industries, not games specifically, but um, similar business models in terms of your your overhead, your margins, your, the size of the place and the size customer base you try to build and the core concept that really you're, you're selling a service and yourself. It's a little more of a, um, I think Charlotte usually describes it as a, uh, uh, Rather than being a retail establishment, it's a hospitality establishment that happens yeah. to sell games. We're not in the um, sales business. We receive guests. Yeah. And, and we hope to have a good time. And we also, with some of that retail experience, recognize that you do have to um, match what you're doing to what your consumers want, yeah. um, which uh, I think that is probably, again, starting with, with too little money or on a whim and doing it because they like one specific game and trying to cater exclusively to that often uh, ends up as a problem. You've got to kind of let the community build itself. Mm-hmm. That's a good point because, like game stores, it's much more about community than the product. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because honestly, they can get the product lots of places. Yeah. yeah. But you build up the right community, that keeps people coming it's, back. Mm-hmm. If, I think if you start a game store from the vantage point of a, a shopkeep, of a, a retailer, I don't think that's the right angle to come at. It's more of a, it's a community space where you can also buy things. Pri- prices are comparable within some margin of error and, and, and reasonability anywhere you go, uh, including the online merchants these days, um, the way some of the manufacturers are going and pushing the MSRP thing. But um, with rare exception, you need at least one other human being to play these games with. Mm-hmm. Um, not all. There's a couple you can do solo. But most of them either require or are significantly better with uh, the inclusion of additional people. Yeah. So we're sort of a social destination as much as we are a shopping destination. And that's... You really do need to have the right kind of community that you build mm-hmm. up of people who have compatible attitudes about how they take winning and losing and yeah. uh, strategizing and you took your finger off the piece so that's it kind of thing. Like, as long <laughs> as everyone's on the same page, it doesn't matter if you're ultra competitive, yeah. um, cutthroat, do it by the book, by the rules, 100%. As long as everyone's having fun, that's or, also fun. Or if you are a much more laid back and we're, we're leaning much more towards the... Uh, 
you know, the slightly more relaxed crowd, casual gaming where it's fun and you can learn something new and meet some new people. And if someone brings their 10 or 12 year old kid in with them, that's fine too. And you're not going to crush them. Or mostly the 10 year old kid will bring in their parents. Well, yeah. Yeah. Whichever direction that goes in, yeah. Yeah. No no one should feel like someone is destroyed them. (laughs) (laughs) Unless that's what they're into. Well, okay. (laughs) Some of my best gaming stories are games that I've lost fantastically because someone else did something clever. Spectacularly. Spectacular losses make for as as good or better story than wins, but... Very true. (laughs) So building off the community, you have a very big focus on accessibility and inclusivity, Mm -hmm. which is what you're current Indiegogo is on, which is a couple days left. Check it out. I think it's sort of ongoing. Um, uh, It stays open. Okay. So, yeah, it never actually ends. That said, it, uh, yeah, the the initial time period is expiring soon. So whenever you listen to this, you can check it out. Yeah. (laughs) So why why did you want to focus on those things? It's, granted, it's not something that a lot of game stores are so great at sometimes. Sometimes for practical reasons, they just don't have the right space for accessibility. And other times it's a culture that grows up around it. So, um, Yeah, speaking of culture, um, as a female gamer, I think I've had a few um, experiences. Um, all of the places I've been to have been great in their own way. But there has always been that feeling of being a little bit outside of the culture looking in. Um, and you don't really need people to do something nasty or mean to get that feeling Um, and as that feeling grows you kind of start gravitating towards other people especially when the internet became a thing you find each other and you think hey you feel that way too Um, and not just female gamers but um, um, gamers in, in wheelchairs and mobility devices gamers who are on the spectrum like Oh, you, you guys don't feel welcome too. And I think in the last couple of years, 2016, 17 especially, there's been this big surge of people speaking out. Like, hey, we feel left out of society in general. And um, I think gamers have done a wonderful job of picking that up and listening and deciding that, yeah, we don't want to be that way anymore. Part, a small part of the reputation of gamers being a bit... A bit of a boys club and a bit um, ex- exclusive. A part of that reputation, I feel, was earned. And the community has been made aware of it and has really, really listened. Well, po- large portions of it. Yeah, yeah huge portions of it. And the have. standouts tend to be, they're, they're fighting their Alamo for yeah. a bad cause. Yeah. yeah, but you don't want to look at that minority. You want to look at the wider community who really Absolutely. is going... Yeah heeding the call as it were and we just want to it's not something we're starting it's uh, a community-wide phenomenon where everybody's looking up and saying oh gosh <laughs> maybe we have been a bit it's of a boys club kind of how it how it hit me. i mean i'm I, I i hit every check mark you can get for your stereotypical gamer i am i'm a a white heterosexual male between the ages of 14 and 45 with no um, well, not I'm just, no, no. <laughs> you're not a person. You're a demographic. Yeah, I mean, if <laughs> if you start looking at the, the um, college educated, I, I hit just all of the stereotypical gamer check boxes, <laughs> and uh, didn't have a, a reason to examine this for a long time because, well, I went I went to 
grade school in the 90s and they told us racism and sexism were over that we had fixed all of that and uh, that, that life was perfect now and everyone was equal and you just sort of believe that until someone points out to you why that's not the case and then you start to examine cultures and communities that you're part of yourself and uh, this is not a, a unique epiphany um, mm -hmm. for me and it's a little sad that it had to be pointed out to me but once it was I obviously was behind yeah. uh, Charlotte 100% when it comes to some of the things we've talked about for community building and um Know, making sure that no one feels uncomfortable just by walking into a we place. We just want to watch out for the little microaggressions. Obviously, if someone comes in here using sexist or racist slurs, oh, well, they they're can, out yeah, again. They're not welcome. Yeah. But the little things, like for example, the the video game standees with the night elves with the cheesecake, maybe we don't necessarily have to have that. It may not be offensive on its own, but it, it adds up after a while. I think you had the one where there was a game shop you went into and the first words that came out of their mouth when you walked up to the counter were, yeah. uh, what did your boyfriend send you to buy? Like, we're not... Unless you unless you come in and tell us someone sent me to buy, we're never going to ask yeah. you that question. And I think most of the, let's say, the geek community is uh, rapidly shying away from that kind of stuff. And we just want to absolutely be on the forefront of that movement. Yeah. Gaming is for everyone. It's games. It's fun. You get together with friends and you have a good time. What is exclusionary about that? I think we have a little bit of an advantage um, opening up now and new mm -hmm. um, in the time and place that we're doing it because we don't have any negative holdovers that we have to get rid of Yeah. Um, in a way that some of the other places don't. Although, I mean, we're also opening up in a location that was kind of prime and ready for it and where there was an obvious market gap too. We're not... Yeah. And we want to make it clear from the start that we are open to feedback because we can't we can't foresee every eventuality. Yeah, absolutely not. E Definitely going to listen to absolutely anything someone's going to contact us and say, "Hey, you say you're inclusive, but," and then it's our job to absolutely listen to that person yep. and take that on board. Yep, do anything that we can to make that a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. So going off that, what are some of the things you're actually doing with your store for accessibility and inclusion? I know you gave me a tour and talked about a lot of great things <laughs> you're going to do. You want to. Uh, well, obviously, I mean, the bare minimum is to be uh, compliant. We have uh, ramps, um, we have um, accessible stalls and all that, but... The, the property that we moved into is a split level um, when we moved into it. Um, the back half of the store is know, 18, 24 inches higher than the front of the store. It's two steps, but it was two steps. Yeah. Uh, which so we, we installed the ramp. Uh, we made sure that our bathrooms were actually accessible. Um, our our tables, the, just the tables that we play on. Um, we made sure there's wide aisles between them um, so that you can actually get through there if you have uh, a mobility device or just need a little more space to move around. Um, that the height was good for wheelchair clearance. and yeah. uh, We made sure you can get to every corner in the shop and then actually turn around if you need yeah. to. Uh, we also really spent a lot of time scouting the, the location that we ended up picking. Um, there were a lot of criteria on there just from the, the business side of how does this you know rental agreement, where how, what, what are the lease terms and all that. But um, we only looked within... The furthest out we looked was about four blocks away from the Quincy Center MBTA station. It's a major transit hub um, for the, the South Shore area. Um, it has bus service to half a dozen local towns, uh, the Red Line, which will take you to the subways and every other bus service for the greater Boston metro area, and commuter rail station, actually, from uh, both the Plymouth Line and the Middleborough Green whatever it is line that's uh, <laughs> uh, physical accessibility so we're paying a lot of attention to that but we also want to be uh, welcoming to uh, 
people who have uh, a disability or a condition that isn't necessarily physical. Yeah. So one thing we're, uh, we're really hoping we can uh, get started is um, quiet evenings, where you uh, we, like, we take down some of the stuff so that the visual clutter is at a minimum, no music, no TVs, so that uh, families with kids who are on the spectrum or or who can't stand the visual noise, the anxiety. People with yeah, social anxiety things may, may have a space where yeah. they can, if they're comfortable with what we can do, um, but we'll, we'll take every step that we can to make sure yeah. that the space is... Just uh, come out and have family board game night where they're not judged, they can come out. Yeah. Um, where they don't have to watch all their triggers all the time and we just keep keep it down. It's, it's sort of a... We've talked, Charlotte and I have talked a lot about the fact that there are different kinds of accessibility and inclusion, and some of it is the physical, and some of it's also kind of a social thing mm -hmm. where, yeah, it's the way you get treated and the way you don't get treated, um, and small steps that can be done. Uh, we actually have, uh, it's still in the process of being built at the moment. We're not quite open yet. Um, Hence we're, the Indigo. We're almost there, but um, private room, um, it's going to have library rules, so it's, you know, it's, I don't know if the mic picked that up. <laughs> it's quiet. It's semi-closed. It's visible, but uh, it's yeah. not soundproof. But it's it's, it's sound dampening. Though. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it's, it's, it's a private room space. where you can you know if you need a breather. Um, I'm actually stone deaf in one ear, and um, <laughs> so we are going to have a sign up the front. It's okay to shout at one of the shop owners, but we're not going to tell you which one. Um, <laughs> I cry if you shout at me, yeah. and he can hear if you don't shout at right. him. So that's going to be interesting. it's going to be fun. <laughs> Uh, but I mean, even my, with with that, I occasionally when there's crowd noise, I mean, I just need a five minute, ten minute break yeah. and breather, just somewhere off and away. I mean, if I'm eating at busy, crowded restaurants, I often have to stop in the middle of a meal and just step outside for mm -hmm. a minute, um, just for a break from it, because I can't. Uh, my my particular issues with my ear make it so that I can't distinguish I, things well from background noise. So that susurrus, that crowd noise, just sort of builds me, up on me. For me, it again comes down to hospitality. You are asking people to not only give you money, but to stay in your space for hours at a time. Yep. If you have people over at your house, you make them comfortable. If you have people over in your shop, that's the same thing. And we're we're also looking at a lot of future projects. There's some things that we couldn't fund right away, but they're they're coming. And some things that some of our uh, friends and acquaintances have helped out a lot with. Um, one of our good friends has given us uh, a 3D printer, um, which is fantastic because we can make uh, game aids, um, like braille dice mm -hmm. and um, different color coding on miniatures and meeples and things like that so that people who may have some, you know, just need a little something different in order to play a game properly on their own, you know, just they need a tool in order to do it, we can produce some of those tools. Mm -hmm. um, and we're, we're looking for things in the future with that, too. I think long, well, long, medium to long-term plans, we're going to invest in a few uh, tablet devices, you know, for, again, game aids for people while they're in the shop. Um, yeah. Things that, and we're open to, I mean, we're hiring an accessibility consultant that's actually what the Indiegogo campaign is yeah. all about, um, which is going to be a big... Uh, boon to us in helping us identify some of these areas where we might yeah. do a little bit better. Um, but feedback on that. I mean, if you're, if if anyone is a gamer who has encountered an issue with a game or a process in a game or a a public space, please tell us what it is so that we can attempt to, you know, do our best to cover that. Most of all, we want to make it clear over time and through our actions that we're people you can talk to. Yeah. If there's a problem, if you need something, please talk to us. We want to help. We want to be good hosts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, moving on to the retail side. The community is why you come to the store, but selling games is what keeps the doors open. <laughs> so, uh, especially for designers listening, what's, 
Like, what's the kind of game that you look for to put on the shelves that's going to move, it's going to make you your profit you need to keep the lights on? Openers. Yeah. Openers, Honestly, openers are the, the biggest answer. I'm not sure if that's a term that you use on the podcast. I am not familiar with it. Okay. <laughs> um, it's sort of a multi-purpose uh, term that I've heard bandied about. Um, it usually means a game that you can pop open and play immediately without having to do an intensive study of the rule book or necessarily be taught might be easier if someone teaches you and, and plays you through first, but you can figure it out on your own without a problem. Uh, and they're generally games that you can play before a bigger game. If you're doing a game evening at your house, you know, well, when four people show up and you're waiting for two more, there's something you can play quick um, while you're waiting. Those are all openers. Mm. You're either opening the evening or opening the box. You're um, waiting for the rest of your group to arrive, or you just want a quick warm-up before you start a big five-hour game? They, they really, As a retailer, uh, they are fantastic. Um, the price point tends to be a little bit lower. They usually run a little, I mean, not micro games, which are a whole separate, wonderful, beautiful thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But we'll talk uh, about that. They, they tend to run a little bit a little bit smaller in terms of their components and their size, which also means that their cost is a little lower, which means for me as a retailer, if I get someone who comes in who's thinking about a board game, but they're not too sure about it, it's a lot easier for me to sell them a copy of The Resistance yeah. for $15, like uh, $12, $15, one, th- than it is yeah. to, to sell someone on Scythe. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you can only sell Scythe to someone who knows what it is. Uh, it's also not, I mean, you, they're, they're good transitioning games, too. Um, people who are used to the stuff that you see in Grandma's Closet, you know, if, if their idea of board games is strictly Monopoly, Clue, Scrabble, and Battleship, um, it's something where you can point to a familiar element and from that show them that there's a whole lot more out there. At um, this point, I want it said on the record that I like Clue. It's a good game. It doesn't deserve the hate it gets. <laughs> Clue's, be- Clue's better if you play it as an RPG, though. That's true. You have to do accents. You have to LARP it. The best but version of Clue is Clue DVD. There's DVD. There is a DVD game, yeah. They removed the oh, rolling. God. Yeah. I love those old VHS games. The roll games. thing was the issue, yeah. yeah. I-, I want Dragon Strike playing on a loop. In the- okay. Anyway. Yeah. Um, I have it. It's one of Mary's favorite games. We should play sometime. <laughs> so these little openers are great. Um... Another thing that I find really helpful in introducing people to board games specifically is uh, co-op games. Because yeah. uh, nobody in my family or my uh, my group of friends back in Belgium played um, what we understand to be board games. It's, it's either, yeah, that's kiddie stuff or it's not fun. So you want to draw them in a little bit, see them like, okay, if you don't like it, that's fine, but have you tried? And I think and, uh, yeah. not immediately losing to someone exactly. who's more experienced. Yeah. Uh, people, they, they come in there, they come in a space they're not used to or at someone's house for a board game. That's weird. Yeah. So they feel a little put on the spot. Like, oh, it's your turn. Do a thing against us. Nobody wants to do that. So you got these games, um, partially co-op or full co-op or, um, <laughs> or players against the board, players against the GM. Um it's it's fun for them because it promotes that together we are playing a game instead of we are competing with each other. So I think co-op is a very good mechanic for uh, It's beginners. also a lot easier for explaining the rules. Exactly. They don't have to know. Yeah. They can yeah. follow yeah. along with We you. can help you out and it's not going to wreck the... You, you, I've, I've had it when I started... Because I started with board games a little late in my geeking career. <laughs> um always that feeling everybody at the table had played that game they're all sitting there with this hidden cards and i'm looking at this and i'm thinking to myself i have forgotten what this card does i have forgotten what the stat means everybody's waiting for me to take my turn oh my god have a card 
I won a couple of times, actually. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. But the, the thing about games like that from a retailer perspective is that uh, gamers who are already gamers, I mean, we're going to have the community aspect for them. We're absolutely going to have everything that they want um, you know, in the shop, everything that they look for. We're going to endeavor to, obviously. Um, the, the trick for a retailer, though, is engaging new customers or customers who are just getting started. Because um, once you... I think once you identify as a gamer or mm-hmm. even someone who considers it to be a strong hobby, you're going to find a lot of that yourself. You kind of sell yourself on uh, the next game you want to buy and the next thing you want to try. And, exactly. Um, so the, the real trick is uh, the introduction, really. It really is. And, and making sure people have a, something where they can have a good experience and where they don't feel like they're risking too much. So from a game design perspective... Uh, I mean, I, you could talk all about how custom miniatures sell and all that, but uh, from a retailer uh, price point, making sure that whatever you've got in there can be priced reasonably for a, a new player, mm-hmm. um, and then co-op and open uh, some of the simpler games. Um, not only, I mean, they're consistent, perpetual sellers. They they always do well on that, and uh, they are absolutely the kind of thing where if someone sticks their head in and like, I need to buy a a present for someone. I know they like games. I don't know what they have. Um, it's the kind of thing where you can't go wrong and, with some uh, of these. Games, board games don't necessarily have to be cheap to be popular. Um, no. I've noticed with a lot of new players, people who are getting into it, they're enthusiastic. There's beautiful art on the box. They get all these lovely little pieces. They've just played it, so they've kind of had that rush of, oh, having fun with friends. They want to keep that rush going. They don't mind dropping 40 bucks or 50 bucks on an... Yep. Very well designed game. True, true. Even looking yeah. at uh, it's Ticket to Ride, it's a yeah, for forty dollar game, fifty dollar yeah. game, right? Yeah. But as you go again, actually, some of the conceptual stuff too. Like I said, the, the sci-fi and fantasy themes run very strongly through a lot of board games. Yeah. Um, well, non-Euro board, yeah, like the American-made board games. Euro track. Um, <laughs> sometimes, I mean, that can be a wonderful seller. Um, either official product tie-ins with you know, recently released movies and the like, which isn't going to help. Uh, most private designers, <laughs> but just broadly, some of those themes. I mean, it's it's a win lose thing on that because, uh, I mean, well, we've branded our shop as the Lucky Goblin because it's something identifiable and kind of tells people what we're we're up to. And you can get customers that way, and it's great and stupendous. There may be some who are put off though, so I think mixing that up in your design elements. You know, don't only design spaceship games. You know, that's great. You will get the sci-fi crowd, and you will not get anyone else. So the next time you go to it, try something a little bit different in some of the themes. It gives you a variety. And as, again, as a retailer, what do you like? Oh, you like, uh, you know, what other hobbies do you have? And someone says, well, miniature railroading. Like, absolutely. Okay. There are... There's some games r- for that. Railroad yeah. games are their entire well, swath of... Yeah. I think as a retailer, it's important to... A very important split, I think, in types of board games is the co-op and versus, but also um, story-driven and mechanic-driven. Mm-hmm. And like like I said, I love my uh, story-driven games. We've got um, Arabian Nights is a favorite, Betrayal on the House on the Hill, um, Mansions of Man, and all the Cthulhu mythos games. Um, I don't actually like mechanic-driven games much. It's weird. Like um, having me play Raw, I'll be miserable. So you got to know I your love uh, Raw. yeah. It's a it's a brilliant game. It's just <laughs> I don't enjoy that aspect of gaming. It's weird. My brain isn't wired that way. But I love my stories and I love my co-op. So I think it's important for retailers to identify what kind of audience you've got. Are these people well, yeah. who are here for? Well, you can have hardcore story-driven games. Uh, you can have very casual mechanic-driven games, but they are different. 
It's not yeah. like mechanicals for the hardcore crowd and stories for the casual you crowd. Can do, you can do both of both. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I think really good games kind of mix them. I th- Arkham Horror got really bloated with all the expansions. But I think the base game had a good mix of that, of mechanics and, and story. Um, I think some of these games also serve as a really good intro to, um, again, this is my baby, RPGs. <laughs> it's my baby. Well, it's like from both a design and a retailer perspective, the, the idea that there's some overlap or some association isn't a bad thing. No. It's, uh, I mean, if it doesn't completely ruin uh, a, a game's core concept, obviously, but uh, if, if you do design with the idea that um, someone who reads a certain type of novel will like this sort of thing, or um, mm-hmm. someone who watches a certain type of TV show, or someone who plays one type of game might see something familiar or enticing about a slightly different type of game. Um, I think there's... Uh, uh, war gamers. Mm-hmm. Uh, war gaming is its entire massive swath of, you know, it, it's its own unique, uh, relatively unique genre. But then you get things that bleed through along the edges. There's been a lot of board games that are packaged like a miniature war game um, that just covers yeah. similar concepts but on a board. And from there you go to territory control games. Not exactly a war game, but and that that's how you end up with someone who, you know, can rattle off statistics about World War II army units for memory because they played them in a war game, who's perfectly happy spending an evening playing Small World. Board games, yeah. the great thing about board games is they are a fantastic genre on their own. You can have a lot of fun with them. You can also um, kind of see them as a, sort of a gateway genre. For example, if someone plays, let's say, Arkham Horror with the little character sheets, they say, I really enjoyed that, just I don't feel restricted by that board. Oh, you could play an RPG, a tabletop RPG. Someone says, I love this deck building, well, why don't you try magic? Well, that can go go the other way, though, too. Yeah. I guess so there are people who uh, um, are traditional role-playing gamers who uh, don't necessarily find the time... Uh, to create set campaigns. A, to set aside to do a full yeah. full campaign, who find things like Descent or um, Mice and Mystics? Oh, Mice and Mystics, absolutely, mm. yeah. And uh, I mean, there's an entire swath of yeah, yeah. Um, the new Star dungeon Wars crawlers, stuff. yeah, yeah. Dungeon yeah. crawlers that with a little bit of character development, some of the same tactical so, um, approaches to the board. Honestly, I think it's the only geek genre that touches on all the other ones. If you like a certain board game, yeah. let me tell you what other geekery you'll like. It's true too. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, last before we close up, you talked about wanting to do some designer-focused events. We were talking about that. So, yeah. what are some well, of the ideas you have for that? Um, some of the stuff that, that is really important to us, as we've mentioned, is the community building aspect of that. And uh, we love game designers. They're intelligent, <laughs> creative people who are passionate about the thing that we like. Thank you. <laughs> Hello, friend. <laughs> Hi. Uh, we'd, we'd really love to get... Um, I mean, we have a nice, big, beautiful space here with... I mean, we have uh, over a dozen tables and yeah. 100 and someone seats. You can't see, it's lovely, isn't it? <laughs> it is lovely. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we've tried to go out of our way to make it as comfortable as possible. And we would love to invite people in both for design meetups or to grab some people to help them play test things. Because hopefully, you know, all things go well. We should have some folks around. Um, we'd love to hear from game designers about what they might need for some of that. And frankly, anyone who manages to produce retail copies. And I know that sometimes that's a little further out and sometimes mm-hmm. it's a little more expensive and difficult. But uh, anyone who's designing who does get something off the ground, come talk to us. We'll we'll arrange something where you can get some shelf space oh, yeah, or a display cabinet. We, we love local creators. We like the creative people. We like the community that they bring. And we want to do anything that we can to make mm-hmm. our store someplace that they want to consider uh, 
you know their home base. Part uh, of our, it's our passion, but it's also part of our business plan to push local creators and indie creators. You gotta sell your big ticket license stuff and all that. But I I I create things myself. I I love being creative. I love being around creative people, and I know how hard it can be to put your stuff out there. Yep. It can be really hard to get your games played and your stories read and all that. So absolutely come talk to us because we want yeah. to we want to help you put your stuff out if there. If you have design groups, you tell us what you need from us to make it so that yeah. we're a place where you come meet up and we will do our very best. To we're, we're new, we're pre-opening, so this is a great time to give us feedback is, on yeah. what you might need, what you might want from a space. Uh, we're very much open to that. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right, and finish it off. What about contact info? Obviously, your address might be an important thing to give out since you're a real a real just, place in space. Yeah, we, on other things. and you yell. <laughs> <laughs> we are at 1456 Hancock Street in Quincy. There is that's um, Massachusetts in the United States. That is Massachusetts. <laughs> um, we online. We are still building our website, but we are at luckygoblingains.com. Should launch very soon. Possibly before this the, week, probably, yeah. but lucky this goblin- is tomorrow. So. <laughs> well, no, not today then. Okay, okay. luckygoblingames.com. Uh, we are also on Facebook, Lucky Goblin Games. We are minimally on Twitter, but you can absolutely reach us there. We, I'll, I'll get better at Twitter. <laughs> and um, yeah, you can always you can leave us Facebook messages. You can email us. You can call or text to the store. Yep. And we will get back to you. LuckyGoblinGames at gmail.com. No funny punctuation or anything like that. And <laughs> 781-901-0338 if you want to call the store. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on and good luck with the store. Thank you oh, for coming Thank on. you so much Hope for to listening to us. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Board Game Workshop. You can find the show notes at theboardgameworkshop.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at the BG Workshop. And you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash theboardgameworkshop. You can also find my blog at bluecubeboardgames.com and follow me on Twitter at bluecubebgs. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.